Knowing I Am. That's the title for the sermon series during Advent, beginning today and continuing through the first Sunday in January. Do you know who you are? Not possible unless you know I am. Join us as we learn who he is. Take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, and we begin reading in verse 12. And if you're able to stand, I would ask you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's inerrant, infallible, and fully sufficient Word. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh, I judge no one, yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your Father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says, where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. Uh, They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They, that is the same ones who just believed in him, they answered him, 
we are offspring of Abraham and never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God, open our eyes to see and our ears to hear, our minds to receive, our hearts to believe, and our lives today to be changed by your holy word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You will see on the screen a series of scriptures. I will be reading them, most of them, and I want you to read along. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and this life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. With ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake, for God who said, Let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Let's read this one together. I saw no temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day. And there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever in it. Nor anyone who does what is or false. But only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. One of the strategies that God uses in the Bible is to establish Very clear, very real, and very radical contrast. One of the basic contrasts in the Bible is the contrast between unbelief 
and belief. There are no almost believers. We are either living in unbelief or we're living in belief. Uh, There's the contrast as well uh, between sin and salvation. We're either living in sin or we're living in the grace of God that brings us salvation. The contrast between death and life. We're born in death under the curse and condemnation of sin. God calls us to life and by far one of the most well-known is the contrast between darkness and light. You saw it this morning. It's there in Genesis. It's there in Revelation. It opens the Bible It closes the Bible. You and I are born in darkness. And the light of the glory of God in Jesus Christ is shining in that darkness to overwhelm the light, to overcome the light, and to bring us out of darkness into light. Jesus stood before people in the temple and Jesus spoke these words. We read them this morning. John 8, 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Light shines. Light shines in the face of Jesus Christ and in the face of all who fall at his feet to worship and to serve him as Lord. I've taken that statement and we have it on the screen and I want to keep it on the screen for a while because I want us to see that statement and as I talk I want you to think about that statement. Light shines and light shines in the face of Jesus Christ and in the lives of all who fall at his feet to worship and to serve him as Lord. When Jesus said, I am the light of the world, like the first I am saying that we examined last week, it happens in a context. And it seems that the context for the I am sayings is some major moment in the life and ministry of Jesus that becomes the occasion for some conflict with the religious leaders. The major moment here in John chapter 8 is the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, Jewish people then and now observed seven feasts during the year. They had a lot of festivals. Uh, They enjoyed getting together, and they enjoyed most getting together in Jerusalem and celebrating. And one of their most popular festivals was the Festival of Tabernacles. There were three things that happened at the Festival of Tabernacles. It was a fall feast. It happened in, in what is roughly equivalent to our October, and there were three things that happened in the Festival of Tabernacles. It was a time when they would get together in Jerusalem and they would remember God's provision and protection of them. You remember the account when they came out of Egypt and they were going through the wilderness. They had seen God deliver them. They had even crossed over the Red Sea and they had seen the Egyptian chariots and soldiers drown. And they got on the other side and they got thirsty and what did they do? Did they just get together and say, our God provides, we know our God will provide? No, they complained, we want water. 
And God provided water. They got hungry and they complained again. And God provided all kinds of food for them. God did not let his people go. God provided for them. And they came to the festival of tabernacles and they celebrated God's provision. And there were three components in the festival of tabernacles that if I were speaking to a Jewish synagogue today, they could tick them off. Number one, number two, number three. Maybe you could too, but let's go through them. Number one, they actually moved out of their homes and they camped out for a week. Now, some of them camped out in tents. Some of them, some of them built their own little shelters. Some of them, like some of you, they camped out in RVs and they called it camping. Some of them had someone build them a shelter so that it could be a nice shelter to protect them from the weather. But the point is, for one week, they literally moved out of their homes. In fact, in New York City today, during the Festival of Tabernacles, you can go to some places in town and you can see these high-rise apartments. And during the Festival of Tabernacles, you can see people sleeping on their balcony. That's convenient, isn't it? When it gets cold, you just slip inside. The second thing they did was every day at the Festival of Tabernacles, they would go down to the pool of Siloam and they would get a bucket of water. We would, they wouldn't call it a bucket. They would get a container of water and they would march up the hill, literally up the hill from the pool of Siloam to the temple. They would go into the temple where the altar was and they would take the water and they would pour it out on the altar. Now, you and I would say to that, big deal. We get water. We just turn on the spigot and the water flows. But if you lived in their world, water was precious. You didn't waste water. Uh, There were seasons when the pool of Siloam had no water. So when there's water in the pool of Siloam, nobody in their right mind goes and gets a container of water, marches up to the temple, goes into the temple court, pours it out on the altar. But they did that for seven days. Turn back to John chapter 7, verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. Now remember the scene here. He's watching somebody at this moment pour out water on the altar. And the pouring out of the altar, the pouring out of the water on the altar symbolizes that God provides for their needs. God is the one who satisfies their thirst. In that setting, Jesus stands up and listen to what he says. If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive for as yet the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus, in the midst of a Jewish festival, celebrating God's provision, says to the people, I am your provision. I'm the one you need. There was a third thing that happened at the Festival of Tabernacles. Every night, when the sun would set, someone would go into the temple courts, usually young people, and they would ascend a ladder... And in the temple courts, there were four huge candelabra. These were huge. They were tall. The candles on them were not only tall, they were big. 
And those young people would ascend those ladders and they would light those candelabra every night. Rabbis say it created such light that it not only illumined the temple, it illumined the whole city. And the symbolic representation of that was the light we need comes from God. God is the one who gives us the light that we need. And people would celebrate in the temple courts. They would sing and they would dance. And there was all kinds of music all through the night. Because they trusted their God to provide. That he was their light in that setting. In that precise setting, Jesus stands and says, I am the light of the world. The one who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It created confusion, particularly confusion with the religious leaders of the Jews who were sure and certain that they knew God and that this Jesus from Nazareth was not the water they needed, nor was he even close to being the light of the world. That confusion and conflict is unfolded for us beginning in verse 40 of chapter 7. So look at chapter 7, verse 40. When they heard these words about Jesus being the one that gives living water, They said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? They knew the facts, but they did not apply them to Jesus, these religious leaders. So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him. Those who wanted to arrest him, we will discover, were the chief priests and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the Jewish people. But no one laid hands on him. And then the conflict comes. Look at verse 45. The officers then came to the chief priests, the officers. This was the temple security force. (laughs) The temple hired men to be security for these festivals. Because there was a party atmosphere and you know what happens at parties and people could get out of control so they had security people there. Security people came to the Pharisees and chief priest. Verse 45, they said to them, why did you not bring him? They knew who he was talking about. The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. They are threatened. Do you know that you can get to a place when you are so sure in your understanding of what a right relationship with God looks like that if anybody at any time challenges that, even biblically, you bow up inside. You not only resist it, you reject it. This is the Pharisees. These are religious people in every age. So they say to the soldiers, listen to what they say. Uh, Verse 47, the Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities of the Pharisees believed in him? This crowd that's 
listening to him. They don't know their Bibles. They don't know the law. They are accursed. They're in darkness. We're in the light. Then look at verse 50. Look who steps into the picture. Nicodemus. Nicodemus, who's one of their own. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They even go after Nicodemus, one of their own. They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. This is the situation. Jesus says, I am the water you need. I am the light of the world. And the religious people say, we've already got all we need in God. Don't teach us or tell us that we need something more. And Jesus speaks to them. And I believe he speaks to all of us. And I hope we will listen. He sets a standard. It's the only standard that is set for us. Listen to his standard. I am, verse 12, the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life. I am. He is God. Jesus is God. He is God incarnate, God in the flesh. Secondly, he's the only true light. There is no other light. I am the light. Not a light. Not one of many lights. I am the light. Do you know there are people in our culture today that would have listened to the pastoral prayer I prayed about Muslims and Jews and others and have gotten extremely upset, even offended, because our world is rife with people who believe there are all kinds of lights And you and I have chosen to follow Jesus, but others have chosen to follow Muhammad or Moses. And Jesus says, I am the light. I am the light of the world, the only source of light. Jesus is the light in the world. Jesus, Jesus is the light to the world. Jesus is the light for the world. But the preposition he uses here is of the world. There's only one light shining in this world. And it's been shining from day one because on day one, God separated light from darkness. And that light is not physical. It's not the moon or the sun or the stars. That comes later in the creation account. Come to the light, it's shining for thee. Come to the light as it dawns upon thee. Once I was blind, but now I see the light of the world is Jesus. Whenever the light shines in our hearts, I mean really shines in our hearts. Don't miss this. 
See this, I am the light of the world. If the light really shines in our hearts, we are taken out of darkness into the light, and it shows because we follow him out of darkness into the light. We follow him every day. We seek to be faithful to him, to love him, and to serve him. Whoever follows me will not walk in the darkness because we have been delivered. Turn over to Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, we read it earlier, but I just want to go back to it. (laughs) I just had one of those moments from the past. Sometimes when I'm trying to find Colossians, I can't remember exactly where it was. And Todd Ware taught me years ago, Georgia Electric Power Company. And that's what was in my head then. When I was turning to Colossians, thinking, where, where, where is it in here? Then I thought, Galatians, Ephesians. Giving thanks, verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Now, religious people push back against this. Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. I'm the only light. And if the light shines in the darkness, it will bring you out of the darkness and you will follow Jesus. The Pharisees represent religious people here. Religious people want confirmation for where they are. They don't want change. They want to be comforted, not confronted. We just like where we are. And the Pharisees here push back five things very quickly. They're possessed by a dead faith. They're possessed by not tradition, but traditionalism. They know how things ought to be, and they want them to remain as they've always been. Verse 13, so Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. That's their tradition. And they're quoting to the Lord of the universe their tradition. They don't know who he is. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from. I came from God. I know where I'm going. I'm going back to God. But you do not know where I came from or where I'm going. Their tradition is the only truth they know. There's no evidence in the Pharisees that they have any knowledge of God at all. You judge, Jesus says to them in verse 15, according to the flesh, I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. They don't know Jesus. So they don't know God. Look at verse 17. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself. And the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They are under God's eternal judgment and they don't know it. Look at verse 21. He said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. He says that to them three times. He is speaking courageously, confrontatively, but compassionately and clearly. Verse 21, he says, you will die in your sin Verse 24, he says twice, you will die in your sin. You will die in your sin. 
because they cannot. Look at verse 21. He said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot. That means you have no ability. You have no ability as you are. I have no ability as I am as a sinner to come to Jesus. So how do I come to Jesus? God in his grace shines the light of Jesus in my life. I see that light. That light comes into my darkness. And when I see that light that God gives me, that light overwhelms me and changes me and transforms me. So that I follow Jesus. They can't see because they're consumed by the world. Verse 23, he said to them, you're from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. That prompts the question in verse 25. Look at it. So they said to him, who are you? Do you ever ask that question of Jesus? (laughs) Who are you? The light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus shone into my heart and on July day on a Saturday in 1969. And I've been asking that question ever since. Who are you? Who are you? I want to know you. I want to love you. I want to follow you. I want to serve you. And it begins with knowing him. Not as I conceive him to be. Not as tradition teaches him to be. Not as feelings in me well up and cause me to think of Jesus and feel I want to know Jesus in the only way I can from his holy word. Who are you? And he tells us. He tells us that he is God and he's come from God. Who are you, Jesus? Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I I have much to say about about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true and I declare to the world that I have heard from him. They didn't understand what he had been speaking to them about the Father. Who is Jesus? He's God. We can't know God apart from Jesus. So if you want to know who God is, then you will only know him through Jesus. Who is Jesus? He's the one who's crucified for our sins. The exaltation of Jesus happened at the cross. Verse 28, so Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He and that I do nothing of my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. Jesus' exaltation, he doesn't equate with his resurrection, nor his ascension, nor his return, nor with his life and ministry. His exaltation was happening at the bloody cross. Why? Why is that his exaltation? Why not the glorious resurrection? Why not the wonderful ascension? 
Why not the awesome return? Why is his exaltation at the cross? Because that's why he came. You and I have no hope apart from the shed blood of Jesus. Do you agree? He's the only sacrifice for our sin. He's the only one who can take our place. And he did. Jesus was exalted at the cross to save sinners. And when we see what Jesus did for us, the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus shines in our hearts. Charles Wesley writes these words. We've sung them here, I think. Long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Verse 30 says that as he was saying these things, many believed in him. I want you to stay with me here for just a few more minutes because this is tricky. Do you know you can believe something about Jesus and not believe Jesus? Do you agree? You can think you know Jesus and not know Jesus. Many believed in him. Listen to what Jesus says. As he was saying these things, verse 30, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, the idea is, you've believed, let's see what belief looks like. What is believing? So he tells them what believing is. It's abiding in his word. It's loving his word. It's staying in his word. And we become his disciples because the word of God leads us to the truth of God. And the truth of God leads us to fullness of freedom. That's what believing is. And verse 33 says, they answered him. These ones who said they believed in him, they answered him. We're offspring of Abraham and have never been a slave to anyone. They reject what he just said about believing. Turning your Bibles back to John chapter 2. I want you to see something here. It's found throughout the gospel of John. This is striking to me, almost stunning to me. John chapter 2 verse 23 Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. And he needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. In in other words, there were many who believed who didn't understand who Jesus was, and Jesus did not give himself to them. You know, the question I often ask people is, do you know Jesus? That's not the most important question of all. You know what the most important question of all is? It's not, do I know Jesus? Here it is, does Jesus know me? And he knows those who are his as disciples. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? I ask that question all the time because I believe our culture has confused what it means. Listen to these words from Matt Carter. This is close to what it means. I don't have words to put into sentences what is, I believe, the biblical understanding 
This is what Carter says. Believing is staking your life on the fact that the only way to live is to receive Jesus as Lord. It is placing all your hope in him to be your all that you need. It is a deep sense that you would die or rather be dead than to be without Jesus. It is placing all your confidence in him and his care for you and his commitment to you. It is to know that he is really all you have. And he is really all you need. When the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus shines in our hearts, we are lifted out of darkness and we begin to walk in the light following Jesus. John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. You know this account. It's the account of the woman caught in adultery by the Pharisees brought to Jesus. You know what happens when the light of God in Jesus shines in your life? You know what happens? It exposes your sin. I didn't say sins, plural. It exposes your sin. And your sin and my sin is the same. You know what it is? We're going to live life on our terms. We're going to define what life is. We're even going to define who God is and who Jesus is. It's self-centered, self-consumed, self-directed, self-determined living. And when the light shines, it exposes my sin. I see my sin. Not only do I see it, I hate it. I hate it. Every sin in my life comes out of that sin that I think I'm in control and I'm going to think, speak, do however I want to think, speak, and do. And the gospel of Jesus comes and exposes my sin and I want it gone. So the gospel of Jesus, when it shines, this woman was brought to Jesus The Pharisees, these religious leaders say, you know, the law says, our Bible says she should be killed. What do you say? The Bible says Jesus stooped down. Now, he probably could stoop and get up easily. I can't. He began to write. There are people say he was doodling. Jesus didn't doodle. Jesus wasted no time. You know what I think he was writing? I think he was writing the sins of those Pharisees that were around him. And they were seeing it. I don't even think Jesus being the servant he was, I don't even think he stood up. I just think he looked at him and said, tell you what, buddy, any one of you in this circle, because the way you stoned people was you picked up rocks and started hurling at them so that you pushing them toward a ditch and when they got in that ditch called Gehenna, Valley of Hinnom, you began to push boulders on them so that you buried them alive. Any of you guys that are without sin, throw the first rock. Can you hear the rocks dropping? The light 
exposes our sin and expunges our sin. God takes away the punishment for your sin through the blood of Jesus forever. He takes away the power of your sin. Don't tell me you can't help yourself. I can tell you what the truth is. You can't help yourself. That's why you need Jesus. He's your only help. Jesus looked at that dear woman and said, where are your accusers? Well, (laughs) there are none. Jesus says, you go and you sin no more. Now, he's not asking her to be perfect. This is what he's asking her, the same thing he's asking you. When the light of the gospel has shown in your heart, you are so transformed that you're no longer captured and controlled by your sin. You're captured and controlled by wanting to serve Jesus and not judge other people particularly your brothers and sisters, because you want to love them. You want to love them. Why? Because you know what a vile sinner you are, and nobody's throwing rocks at you. Somebody did stretch out his arms for you and set you free. Some of us today need the light to shine in our hearts for the very first time. Some of us need the light to shine again. Some of us have rocks in our hands that we love to throw. And God's calling you by his grace, drop the rocks. Drop them. God, thank you today for your word your power. There's not a person in this room, God, I pray we know this, that deserves anything from you. And yet you have come in Jesus to shine light into our darkness and to change us forever. And if that change is real, it will show in this church and our relationships to one another and it will show in our going this week not just to tell it on the mountain, but to tell it in the town and to tell it in the county and to tell it on the job and to tell it in the school and to tell it in our neighborhoods, wherever we are. In Jesus' name, amen.